In 2020, four friends decided to listen to every one of the greatest 500 albums as decided by Rolling Stone magazine. This resulted in a text chain that celebrated the music, excoriated the order, and led us to making this podcast. We are far from experts, and we promise to do almost no research. All opinions are our own unless you disagree. Please sit back and enjoy Beck Did It Better. This is The Beatles, Abbey Road. So, guys, I know that I just want to say for this podcast, I brought in an expert. We have a special guest today. Uh, he's going to be here for the whole recording. So please say hi to Emerson, everybody. Say hi, Emerson. Hey, guys. How are hey, you? Hey, Emerson. Emerson, how Hello. are we doing? Listen, and I know this seems very strange coming in the same day that we're talking about the Beatles recording their last album, but this is really, really different. Uh, by the way, everybody out there in podcast land, please check out Emerson's and I new podcast. It's called The Plastic Emerson Band. Number nine. Number nine. Oh, oh shit, here we go. No, 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 no. When you want to hear about no, the greatest albums of all time, but you're just too lazy to look it up online. If you want to hear from guys who chat and then they get off track, I've got the perfect podcast for you, Jack. Beck did it better. Hello, everyone who is doing something so boring that they're listening to our podcast. How is it going out there? I like that. That seems to be my most realistic take yet on this whole <laughs> intro. Uh, welcome to my new studio. It's called Gabby Road. Gabby. Gabby Road. <laughs> I was waiting for Aaron. I was, are you guys on mute? Did everybody, is everybody okay? No, no, we're here. Uh, we're right. here. <laughs> uh, a very strong start. Uh, welcome to my co-host, The Sad Four. Uh, we've got Matt in Minnesota. Matt, how are you doing? Excellent, Rob. As always, it's wonderful to be on with you four. I mean five. I mean four. Oh, four. no. What a day. <laughs> uh, Rosie out in California. How are you doing, Rosie? I'm good. I'm in Oakland, clean air today, so we take advantage of those days when we can. I feel all right. All right. And Russell in Minnesota. How are you doing, Russell? Rob, when you brought in Emerson, you told me you didn't need me anymore. I nearly broke down and cried. You told <laughs> me you didn't need me anymore. I nearly fell down and I ordered a bucket of chicken. Deep fried. <laughs> oh, very good. And we've got Emerson in Minnesota. Emerson, how are you doing? Hey, guys, doing well. Um, enjoying the last, I think, the last fall day here in Minnesota. Beautiful day. It is still like 78 degrees in New York, guys. I'm telling you, you got to come to New York. Global warming. So nice. The only guilty pleasure in my mind, global warming. <laughs> Yep. Rosie does. He does. Aaron does love uh, global warming. He says there's a big poster <laughs> behind him. that says global warming, not real government conspiracy. It's covering up his plan pandemic poster, which I think is very good. <laughs> Rob, you always talk about those silencers you use on our recordings, and it really helps when Aaron's just spraying these aerosol cans all over <laughs> out on his porch tonight. Yeah, that's right. I can barely hear him over the noise of the tire fire he has going on in his backyard. He loves this stuff. <laughs> But don't worry, guys. We're going to talk a little more about Aaron later in the podcast. Oh, oh great. Uh, Can't wait for that. <laughs> I'm laughing at my own jokes, and they haven't even happened yet. Hey, Rob, you know that joke you like from the future? It's me, Rob. <laughs> Rolling going, everybody. Rolling going. How's it going? Matt, how are you doing? Rolling going. I'm doing well. Um, you know, as Emerson stated, it's last probably week or so uh, good weather here. I went to Taylor's Falls today with the family. Beautiful. Um, it's great, you know. And I think I've, I'm losing my edge. You know, you've got I've got my, I've got uh -huh. a five year old who just wants to climb on everything and oh. just, you know, he it's it's hard to tell what you should 
allow them to do versus like just being an, uh, a helicopter parent hovering over them. How, how mean of an old daddy were you, Matt? How, how mean of an <laughs> old daddy? Too Not too bad. <laughs> I was pretty good, but struggles of the day are trying to uh, make sure you're not being the helicopter parent, letting the kids explore and all that, but making sure they make it alive, uh, you know, come home with you after the trip. So, yeah, but had a great day, had a great day. So it's going well. Uh, you know what the real problem is with parenting, man, is that the number one time kids hurt themselves is the no- when they're at the very peak of having fun. That yep. is always when it happens, right? They're just having so much fun. And all of a sudden they like, you see a bone sticking out of their leg. And so anytime the kids start to have fun, you just are like, no, 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 no. You got to bring that fun back down and then nobody's going to get hurt. Is that kind of like when you lose your keys, but then it's always in the last place you look? Absolutely. It's the same logic, 100%. That's why anytime my kids are having fun, I'm like, get back on the couch, get back on YouTube. None of this. We're not going to get hurt, at least not physically. Mentally, I think it's pretty bad actually over my house, but physically the kids are doing just (laughs) fine. Nobody knows, right? You can go. You can walk down the street. Nobody knows. Everybody just thinks yeah. everything is just a hunky, happy oh, no. family walking no down the street. Visible deformities. I would never allow them to walk down the street in New York City. Are you kidding? No way. Uh, very, very dangerous. Not a good place to raise a family. Uh, Aaron rolling. Oh, by the way, that was Matt's parental advice corner. Yes. To all those parents out there, say hi to your new daddy. That was a parenting <laughs> tip from Matt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Finally, I get a chance to use you just that. Haven't drop had to use that in a while. Yeah, I, I have not gotten to use that. That was at a stretch. All. That was a stretch. That was good though. Rosie, rolling, going. How's it going? Uh, it's rolling, going good. I'm, I have to admit, I'm. I don't want to turn this into uh, old old men who are washed uh, podcast, but I can't think of a rolling going that doesn't follow for Matt's uh, theme of losing his edge. Uh, so <laughs> I, guys, I'm rolling, going okay. Need to pick it I'm, up. I'm licking my wounds a little bit. I tried on Friday. I uh, hope my employer's not listening, but I blew off work on Friday afternoon and tried to do a bike ride uh, called the East Bay Dirt Classic, which is a which was a uh, virtual uh, dirt bike ride, uh, and it was uh, five thousand feet of okay. No, stop, 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 stop. And I couldn't finish. I didn't make it. I didn't make it to the stop. Stop. Shut up. A virtual what the fuck are you talking about? What is a virtual dirt bike ride? Break those words down. All right. Are you playing like an excite bike at your work and be like, I, Listen, I'm, I'm, I can't handle it. I'm overheating. Like, what are you talking about? It was a virtual race. So the course exists out the, out here in the East Bay Hills of uh, Oakland, San Leandro, Berkeley. So the course itself is not virtual. The course exists. The course is real. But because of COVID, we can't have an actual in-person bike race. So you sign up for the race. Okay. You hook up your Strava account to the East Bay Dirt Classic. You complete five segments within one contiguous course, and your best time on those five segments is where you stack up on the leaderboard. But uh, I don't have a dirt-capable bike. I had to just take my com- my commuter bike out you're, there. You're and just I've running? Not, like you're yeah, running was, the I, course? I, I did have you're to. Like, yep, yep. <gasps> you got me. You, I had to walk up one of the hills. Did I you, couldn't make it. <laughs> yeah. Did you just ride around your block a dozen times with your wife like yeah. throwing mud at you every time you went by the driveway? <laughs> that would have been more fun. I'll be honest. I had some, ass. This is getting I, real. I had some real finding my spirit animal moments, but I've only done like three rides in the last six weeks. And I was, I knew I was not in shape to take this on, but I tried it anyway. And I only finished three out of five segments and I had to come limping home and eat a frozen pizza with my wife and son. So I also am washed and what, I'm trying what to. What place did you get? I didn't make it on the leaderboard is the problem. I was trying, like, I, my goal was to get dead, na- like, butt naked last 
but I had to yeah. finish all five segments to even make it onto the leaderboards. So I, it's basically only you guys are the people who know that I even attempted this, this, uh, race. And I'll edit this all out so nobody knows. But it, so you were on like a, are you like on like a, like a bike you would see like by the beach? Like no, it's a, like the I big, mean, like a beach rider and you're trying to go up this huge hill and like something snoops driving. Yeah. And then meanwhile, quite... there's some guy in like a full mountain bike outfit, like going way up past you, then way down in front of you. And you're ringing yeah, your I bell. I did have a few people pass me, but it, it's my old steel commuter. It's a big, heavy bike. I had some 32 millimeter tires on there, but it wasn't enough. And the gearing was all off and I'm not in shape. So that's, that's where I'm at. That's how it's rolling going. I'm still, that was Friday afternoon. It's Sunday night and I'm still licking my wounds over it. <laughs> maybe, maybe if you lay off those hot dog nights, you get in a little better shape yeah. and you get, get that last stage completed. You're hundred percent right. Let's go Lance. You're hundred percent right. I guarantee Lance Armstrong never had a hot dog night at his Hell house. No. Hell no. No, he didn't. No, he definitely no. didn't. He was never at home being like, Oh, what should I eat tonight? Should I have this delicious homemade chicken in a bucket or this disgusting hot dog that is a <laughs> question mark part of an animal. By the way, I thought about that as I polished off the pack of hot dogs I had in my kitchen. Like yes. once again, we do not know what part of an animal this is. And once again, I do not care. I will eat so hot delicious. dogs. I think they're it's a perfect. Food. It's not, it's not just they're delicious because if you pounded out a hot dog and made it into a hamburger, you wouldn't eat it. Right. Well, no, cause Why you not? need the snap from the casing. Plus it's good. Yeah. I mean, you oh, can't pound, like, don't say that it's got, it's also, it's got to be emulsified. It's an emulsified sausage. You can't just. Oh, don't say that. I can't, how did you get married? I don't get it. Well, actually, the hot dog is emulsified. What are you talking about? And please don't explain it to me because I know what emulsified means. Definitely. But if you pound out a hot dog into a hamburger shape, you wouldn't eat, like it wouldn't taste good. It's the fact that it fits into your mouth like perfectly. It's the perfect food. It's just as like if everything looked like a hot dog, everything would be that good. That's why I like asparagus so much. Goes right in. Don't have to mind. You know what I mean? Banana, right in. Apple, wait a minute. Got to think about it. Uh, Roland, going. So, uh, Rosie, glad to hear your bike race is a total disaster. Next time, please take some audio while you're doing that. I'd love to Thank hear you. you. <laughs> yeah, just suffer. And yeah. just realize like this is something. Because what did you sign up for this like two months ago? Yeah. And then you, you forgot to prep for it until like train. a week ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah you didn't exactly. train at all. Went for one training ride, like, nope, not happening. Yep. You get you there get and it. it's like a 22-year-old. So, Rosie, I was going to ask to follow you on Strava, but after your story, I don't think I'm going to anymore. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I thought we could swap Strava accounts and kind of cheer each other on, but I'm just not sure that I'm going to get any encouragement from you. Yeah. <laughs> I, hey, man, I'm I'm I'm... Fast and loose with the kudos, man. If you follow me, kudos every ride. <laughs> All right. I don't, I don't know sure. if I like these guys, these athletic people sharing their technology. Like I spend my whole weekend brunching and these guys are out like having yeah. virtual dirt bike <laughs> tours and and sharing their their excitement over this view of apps. I'm, I'm not down with this. Yeah. If, if, if Strava had the place to go get like the biggest pancakes you could possibly get, I'd be all over that thing. Yeah, I would. I would. That would be downloaded immediately. <laughs> Uh, Russ, rolling going. How's it going? It's going well. I had a had a, a fun brunch today, but I think I may need your guys' advice. So I may need to go to the corner and get a little dating advice from me if that's all right. I'm here for it. Get, 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 get to the corner. It's time for Russell's Advice Corner. Oh, yeah. It's been a while, I think, since I've been in the corner. It's true. I A few weeks ago, I came to the realization I was listening to one of our podcasts back, and we were joking about how— Big mistake. Yes, that was a big mistake, but we were joking about how 
on this podcast, most of the time, especially Rob and I will try to find like a running bit and we will constantly latch onto it and we will bring it up over and over and over. We will beat it into the ground. Check and out my Strava th- account if you want to see more. <laughs> Strava. Today's running bit brought to you by Strava. <laughs> But at one point, you guys said, oh, you're not doing that on your dates. And it really stuck with me because I feel like that's what I do. I, I find something that I think is funny. And I figure if I just keep hammering that joke, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll get through and I won't embarrass myself. But you guys said I shouldn't be doing that. So it started to make me wonder, how am I supposed to have a conversation when I'm out on a date with a woman? And I'm, what I'm curious is that what is the ideal amount of time that I should be talking versus a woman should be talking when I go out on a date with her? Zero oh. to 100. That is my advice. <laughs> Any word you say could potentially lead to big trouble. Do not say anything. Matt, what do you think? How much should he be talking on a date? Um, this is just, this, I mean, you could go down so many different avenues. Matt, here, I feel right? like Matt's about to adjust the number because he knows it's me giving the conversation where if it was just a typical dude, he's probably going to put the number higher. Well, here's the thing, <laughs> Russell. I know you're a, you're a good guy who's not just looking to score. Uh-oh. Right? I mean, so it's not all about just how quick can we get back to my place and turn on the Marvin Gaye, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's about finding somebody else. Or the Sonny Rollins. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, and and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but you know what I know of you, you're a great guy. And I think that's what you're looking for. So, you know, I think that the more you can talk and tell everybody who you are, the better it is for the long-term prospects. Because if somebody can't, Put up with what you're saying. If this Rob's makes shaking sense. his head. Rob's shaking his head. No. If, no. If this no, that ma- would if never it- work for me. <laughs> well, all you talk about is farts and feet and how much you respect women and all and that. And long hot dogs. The three F's of any good date. <laughs> <laughs> the three F's. Oh, the- but I think you know what? Hey. Russell, I think the best way for people to get to know you is just to hear you talk more and more about all the stuff you know and everything. And if she can't handle that, well, you know what? You can give her the big boot. I was going to swear, but I don't want to swear in front of Emerson. He looks like kind of a proper guy. That, <laughs> you know, maybe we got to try to tone it down a little bit. I don't know. But, I, you know, you can kick her to the curb if she doesn't want to hear what you're talking about. So I say it's not better than swearing. Yeah, right. You're going to kick her to the curb. <laughs> I think, so I, I think a good 60% Russell, 40% her. Oh, I think that's a horrible good. idea. Yeah, just act like you're on a podcast and you're Matt. When would Matt speak? That's when you should speak. It's that simple. <laughs> just jump in there. <laughs> yeah, about twice every half hour or so, and you say something interesting, and then we're off to the races. It's no yeah, big she, deal. She keeps bringing up Dookie, and every time she does, I get all worked <laughs> up about it. It's, it hasn't been going as well for me as I would like. This is mm. ironic mm. because I just saw there's a uh, woman who's a great follow on Twitter. Her, she's at Naima. She does music sermons. She's incredible. But she also uh, occasionally tweets about uh, relationship advice. And she was talking about just this subject. And she not only said something to the effect of men talk themselves out of uh, having relations with women more than they realize. And not only she went to the level of saying the longer a man talks, a woman might have crossed off three or four things she would have done. So she got even into the specifics of. Maybe there were specific acts that are getting mentally crossed off a woman's list as a man is talking on a date. I haven't been on a date in 14 years, so I don't know. Just think if if I bring up if I bring up Rob's three F's, feet, foot long hot dogs, or whatever the other one is, they're gonna cross off six things within the first. They're crossing 10 all those things off, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's like a job interview. Like you go to a job interview and they end up talking way more than you, I think you're doing great. Mm. 
that's 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 good advice that Rosie's getting from a music reviewer online. That's where he gets all his relationship <laughs> advice. By the way, Rosie, I date my wife every day. You know what I mean? I treat her like we're on a date. Uh, think of a joke here. You just don't treat her like it's her birthday. No, okay, that okay, that's unfair. Emerson, okay. so you're date. Rob's cousin. Yeah. Have you heard about how Rob is? Rob typically not a very attentive family member or husband when it comes to people's birthdays or no, celebrating their events. This is not the make fun of Rob segment. That oh, is not on you br- the wait, hold on. schedule. You bring your cousin on to go Yoko on on, on this podcast. You're you're getting exposed, Rob. Um, that's by the way, that's the one E of a good date as well. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, I think I think what you'll find is Rob enjoys celebrating birthdays, but only if he's reminded that there is a birthday, actually. <laughs> Every sentence Rob says, I cross off another, hey, wh- why am I continuing to do this podcast? I cross that off the list, just like Aaron's uh, food blogger, whoever she was. <laughs> Go for em- it. Emerson, what, what, do you, what do you think? What should Russ do? Emerson's actually going to give you advice, Russell, that you can listen is to. Emerson, are you single? Yeah. Are you married? I need I, to know yeah. where this advice is coming no, from. No, I've been married. This will be 20 years next year, actually. Wow, congrats. Yeah. Out. There you go. And I, I actually married my high school sweetheart. Um, wow. So you you never had to break up with her and drive away really quickly like Rob has. <laughs> no, okay. That was, well, that was high school, but it was like sophomore year, okay? But, R- Russell, here's what my advice would be. I think mm. that it's really important to have a conversation and a conversation Mm -hmm. is a two way street and that it's much better though on the listening side to listen, to understand than it is to listen just to respond. Huh? Do we have an Emerson smart shit thing? (laughs) There's so many, there's so many people. When can I hop in with my joke? (laughs) No, but there's so many people in our lives that all they do is when you can see when they're just looking at you and they're listening and all they want to do is respond and disagree with you or something. It's just way better to listen, to understand what the other person's saying and have a conversation. We're all just glaring at Rob right now because he's trying to come up with that next joke. Uh, (laughs) All right. Moving on. Rolling going. uh, Emerson, rolling going. How's it going? It's going well, Rob. Thank you. So um, I've got just... See, now that's respect, everybody. said so thank you to me. A lot of you haven't been doing that. All right. We'll edit that out. Emerson, Emerson has not done yeah. enough episodes where they treat... He hasn't started treating me like total garbage yet. I wonder if this is even Rob's cousin or if he's just paying some random dude to come on here and make him sound good. Be polite to him. You may never know. You see Emerson yeah. walk by behind me on the Zoom like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I was running through the park, uh, our local state park here, Afton State Park, um, listening to your Joni Mitchell podcast, and Norma Tits came up. Stits. 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 I can't even pronounce it. Did you see Rosie run by with his Strava watch or whatever? Yeah, right. <laughs> Making bike noises. But <laughs> I got to tell my wife I'm out at a bike. I got to tell my wife I'm out at a bike race. <laughs> It was this quiet, beautiful day, and um, that that whole uh, skit came on, and I laughed out loud, like really loud. <laughs> uh, and I had those sound-canceling AirPods from Apple, and so I couldn't really hear that I was laughing that loud. But I rounded this corner, and there was like a family there. Um, and so thank you guys for that embarrassing moment of my Mm. <laughs> we're glad to provide did you, any. Yeah, did you picture. explain to them that what you were laughing at was that my kid went through school named Norma Stitz for the first two weeks? 
that, that family's cousin. just saying, uh, hey, kids, drugs are bad. <laughs> yeah. drugs are bad. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're on a state park, you just see this. This giant six foot four guy runs by, goes. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I'm impressed that you can run and laugh at the same time. I'm con- <laughs> there's no way I could do that. I'd fall over for sure. Like yeah. if I was running, I there's I would never go like ha ha ha. I'd be like ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what would you be like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Joni Mitchell podcast had me thinking about um, actually a, a live concert that I attended, albeit virtual in nature. Um, this last week, um, Suzanne Vega, you might remember her from Luca and Tom's Diner. Those Mambo right? number five. Mambo number five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, anyway, I, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> Everybody in the club. Yep. That's, speaking song. of that, that's my cologne that I've started wearing. Thanks to your guys' advice. <laughs> And it has gotten me a little bit of Monica. I follow Suzanne Vega, and um, she put on a live concert. And it was at the Blue Note Cafe in New York, uh, but it was to a totally empty room. Um, So Mm. she had her band with her and everything like that. So I was just going to ask you guys. I mean, it actually ended up being a really neat concert. But when she was done with a song, she'd kind of look up and say, yay, like that. So it was kind of funny and quirky. But I was just wondering, have you guys... Any of the bands that you follow, are they doing anything right now in terms of live music? I mean, I've mentioned this before that I really was into the uh, watching Questlove sets early in the pandemic. And the Roots did the Roots picnic where it was a bunch of live uh, sets over over Zoom. But yeah, that that's the big one for me. Sorry, Matt. I interrupted. No, I you know, I haven't seen anything live. I mean, I've, I missed out on Green Day. I missed out on Rolling Stones. Um, I missed out on... Pearl Jam in Nashville. I'm supposed to take a trip with hmm. Matt. Matt from Woodbury. Um, so we missed out on that one. Um, but no, uh, the, the one thing Trampled by Turtles was doing a couple of shows at this farm in um, Wisconsin somewhere. I forget what it's called. And a couple uh, analysts that I work with were, were going out to see it, and they said it was just phenomenal. They like you know, fenced off a little area virtually and you drive your car up and you've got like a 20 by 20 square that you sit in out in this farm field in the middle of Wisconsin. And oh, they said it was awesome. great. So I think, so I think people are getting creative with how they do things. I know. You're, at, you're at the concert in the field and you just hear this. <laughs> I, I know we're not. <laughs> this goes right at you. Like what the hell is yeah. that? I know we're not supposed to bring up this name on this podcast, but wasn't Garth Brooks doing the type of thing where he was doing concerts where he was hosted at all of the, the drive-in movie theaters throughout the country. Yep. Oh, that's yeah. cool. And that was just so that. they could show his. That was just so they could show his whole head. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is he can get that? Whole I mean, like this place there. is like First Ave. I'm, I'm on their uh, email list and stuff, and I know they're doing something coming up here where they've got like 30 independent venues around the country that are hosting similar things to what Emerson was talking about. But it's like a, it's going to be like a one big long concert where they go, you know, three songs here, three songs there, and have the ability and maybe it's a multi-night thing, but I know people trying to get creative with, uh, you know, I mean, cause think about these smaller groups, you know, they, they make their money touring, right. Yeah, they got to eat and selling a little bit of merch here and there. So, you know, what are they going to do? They got to find ways to do it. So yeah. Emerson, did you enjoy watching the concert on zoom? I mean, you know, it, it was, um, it was a small cafe setting anyway. So it, it I've seen her in that type of setting a couple of different times um, at the Dakota Bar and Grill here in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, so I, I actually really enjoyed it. It was it was nice to see live music again, but it was really strange because there was no clapping. And I found myself kind of being like, oh, yeah, that was great. But, you know, uh, I did that once on the on a plane. <laughs> I was watching a movie and it was something where they were giving a big concert. And at the end, everybody clapped. And I went like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I'm on the. It was terrible. Emerson, was there anything that really set it apart from just you watching a YouTube video of her? Or what was the difference in the vibe just because there was no one cheering? Or, or what made it stand out as being uh, different than just watching a YouTube video? That's a good question. So I, I think um, for me, it was important that I watched it live. There was this opportunity that I'd have 72 hours to watch this thing. You know, I, what I, I bought a ticket. And it allowed you to watch it for 72 hours after the concert. But I decided Mm. I want to be there when it's live so that there's at least some, you know, interaction, so to speak. And there was this live chat component. I didn't participate in it, but there were all the different fans were on it and they were chatting together. So it it was kind of a neat. Let's just put it this way. It was as good as you could get in this environment, I would say. Matt, I heard a loud sound behind you there. Is your mom okay? I, I want to make sure that she's not. Do you have her out like raking leaves at night or something? Like she's doing some more chores for you or what? Matt's going to yeah, take no. away that certificate, that laundry certificate for Christmas if she keeps making noise in the background. Yeah, he's going to ask for oh, gifts. I got to hold on to it. I got to hold on to it. She oh. gave it to me. Oh. Remember? So, Emerson, yeah. what's your next concert? You have one line. You have another ticket lined up? Who else do you follow? I, I don't. Um, I was going to go to a 311 concert in July, uh, but I have nothing else that Holy I've got shit, lined 311 up. still playing? Oh yeah, what? they play all the time. That's amazing. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah I'm a huge 311 fan. I like all yeah, music, but I love 311. Their new album was good. Oh, it's um, it there was is. a couple songs I, I forget, but I, I I listened to their new album just because I I hadn't really heard them in like ten years yeah. and heard somebody say, "Oh, new 311 album." I'll like, oh, listen to that. It was good. Yeah, and then I realized that I mean they tour constantly. They wow, do. I haven't they're checked for them for so long, and like they were so big when I was a kid. They're like really, I mean, musically, they're super tight um, and they just they're they're fun. They're super positive. And a lot of people have this cliche, you know, thought about them, about being, you know, just rap rock. And that kind of puts you in this category. But they're kind of beyond they're well beyond that. And they've survived all these years. All right. Let's get into our next segment. And this is called Everybody at Once. Making fun of Aaron. Aaron. Once again, nobody had any calls to the voicemail. So this is what we get for not having any calls to the voicemail. Let's make fun of Aaron. Let's take some time to do this. All right. So this is a clip from last week's show. Have you ever taken your Captain Crunch and heated it up in the microwave before you eat it? Uh, I don't own a microwave. Okay. Let's talk about this. Okay. Let's. What what do you want to know? Oh, so what do I want to know? Man, the waves, the waves can give you brain cancer. No, man. they can't. They can't. Yeah, they, they can. can. Don't. Yeah, they make water particles move. They're less powerful than visible light. Guys, I listen. Don't get me into this. I'm not gonna. I have a whole PowerPoint on it. Actually, I do. If you want to see it, Aaron, what are you, a scientist. Some, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron thing. I, at some point, did you own a microwave and you like put a metal thing in it and exploded, yeah. so you no longer have one? Or did at some point you just said, "We're we're not going to be cooking with radioactive brain waves." waves. I, for one, do not understand how you could have kids and not have a microwave. That's mind-blowing to me. It's like, not that like, easy. Yeah, it's not that easy. Yeah, when you want to heat up a hot dog, you have to, like, start up. I, I don't even well, know. What the? So, boil so the water. I mean, well, yeah, I guess. Well, no, if you Shit. boil water, then you lose the snap of the casing. Uh, so Emulsified. Here's the, here's the thing. Hot uh, dogs, running joke, two episodes in a row. Here we go. We do own yeah, a toaster. You feel that snap of that casing? 
So we have a toaster. Ooh, these hot dogs oven, are so snappy. Comes in handy for many things, but you can also you can heat stuff up on the stove. You know, no, 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 no. Quickly. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> why don't you have a microwave? I don't want to hear why you don't need a microwave. I understand. That don't we, have a microwave. Humans have evolved without a microwave. My my. So I talked to my lady about this after last week's episode because I knew this was going to come up again, and she said, well, "You have to tell the story." She said, "You have to tell the story about how we moved into our first apartment in Minneapolis," and she. Did not believe in microwaves and was like, mm. they give you brain cancer. <clears throat> there was a microwave in the apartment and we moved it out of the, out of the apartment and put it on the stoop <laughs> and told the landlord, like, we don't want this microwave in our apartment. And that was in t- summer of 2006. Yeah, summer 2006. And uh, I've just been without a microwave ever since. So it, it started as a uh, brainwave situation. And then it so has Aaron, just evolved into like I, I like life without a microwave. I've I've got I've got to know. So you've gone with it, you know, 14, 15 years without one. Right. But when you guys moved into that apartment together and she said for the first time, like that thing's gotta go, what was your reaction? I took a deep breath and thought, okay, well, uh, I guess I gotta give up microwave popcorn, this. but we I'm willing I'm willing to try this. I'm willing to try. Right. Guys are so horny. Guys are so incredibly <laughs> horny that they will say, they would be like, okay, we got to get rid of this microwave. Guys would be like, okay. <laughs> oh, I heard this bed is bad for you. Let's get rid of this bed. Okay. The roof, You're right. if, the roof if is no just, good, get rid of it. I'd be like, okay, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. If it was Rob and Aaron just moving into an apartment like right out of college and Rob oh. would have said, let's get rid of the microwave, oh. Aaron, you would have been like, whatever. How am I supposed to cook my, <laughs> cook my hot dogs and have them have that snappiness so they don't get emulsified? Yeah. You would have said, hell no. Oh my god! <laughs> but we do have a toaster oven. It's not like we don't have any appliances in our house. But yeah, no microwave. Fine, we'll start talking about the Beatles. Uh, what is your experience? We're talking about Abbey Road with the Beatles. What's your can experience? We, can we stop for a What's second, up? Rob? Can yes. we like? Can we get a feel of why is Emerson on the podcast here? Are you a Beatles fan, or why did you invite him to be part of the podcast tonight? Well, I can answer that question. Um, no, go ahead, Emerson. What do you think? What do I think? Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I asked you to be on this dumb podcast about the Beatles, you said yes. Why on no, earth would you do that? I, I know, you know, midnight Ro- your time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rob and I are pretty close cousins. Um, not only close in age, but just we spent a lot of time together um, growing up. Um, I used to come down to Rochester a lot um, and hang out for the summer, and then we'd see each other up at the um, cabin time as well. So, um, and I think we've always enjoyed music, and I've enjoyed the Beatles um, since I was. Uh, 12 or 13, um, my dad actually got me um, two CDs, Sgt. Pepper's and Abbey Road. Those were my first two, like, real CDs at the time. So, um, I don't know, we just share an affinity, I think, for uh, the Beatles. We we play guitar together, and so um, just recently uh, we were up at the cabin, and we both had guitars up, and we were both just play- jamming the Beatles songs. Um, who so, would you say, between you and Rob, who is who would be Paul and who would be George, or what, John Lennon? Who would be who? Um, well, I, I think I'm definitely like the nicer guy, so I'm probably like Paul, <laughs> and then Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like where this is going. I like the part where we make fun of Aaron. That's better. The nicer guy, but Aaron, but Emerson, you're like a real like Beatles fanatic. Like you're way into the Beatles. Yeah, I mean, you. Somebody said experts um, at the beginning of the podcast. I certainly wouldn't call myself that. And you know, there's a lot of different interpretations of what happened over the Beatles years. There's a lot of different authors. Um, I've read a lot. Um, some people have different perspectives on things. I don't think everybody 
um, really knows exactly what happened. But it's just for me, it's kind of fun to know the stories behind the songs. Um, and more importantly, just I really enjoy the music. And I always have since I was since those first two albums I ever had. So that was that's kind of my story. Quick, what's the third song on the White Album? Oh, God, I don't know, Rob. Oh, dang it. Dear Prudence. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, Emerson, you're not an this expert. This is guy the expert. Podcast. I told this you. Guy's here. Here. here we go. Here we go. This is what I said. This Don't is how Yoko Ono was the expert. Look how that worked out, Rob. All right. Uh, but, but Emerson, what's your experience with Abbey Road uh, in particular? You know, again, that was that sort of first set of albums I had of the Beatles. Um, and I just really took a liking to it. I thought I didn't know any of the background back then, of course, because I was really young. Um, but I just really enjoyed the music. Um, and, you know, throughout the years, just learning more and more about it and learning that it was their sort of their swan song. I've really come you know, to really appreciate that they came together um, and and really pulled off just what I think is a phenomenal um, last album. Uh, Matt, what's your experience with this album in particular? Uh, you know, not a lot with this album. Um, not, I, I would say if, if, uh, Emerson's kind of the gold standard for loving the Beatles and he's a self-proclaimed and, expert. I heard him say that just a little, little bit, you know, right. trying, <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, just because he likes the song, you know, I'm probably 60% there. Um, you know, I, I think I gravitate much more towards the middle albums, the, Rubber Soul, White Album, Sgt. Pepper's, um, you know, towards the end. I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if it just lost steam for me. Obviously, there's a couple really great songs, really popular songs in this album. So I've, I've heard those. But um, from like a deep dive into the album, it's, it's not I, I don't have a very strong um, history with it at all. So it was it was kind of it was good to listen to this and go through this exercise for the podcast. Russell, what about you? Abbey Road, what do you think? I don't really have any meaningful history with Abbey Road. I guess when I started the quest, we had all these Beatles albums right at the at the beginning, and kind of going through it again. I think this is what our third or fourth Beatles album we've listened to because we listened to the White Album. We just didn't get to talk about it, but but I think for me, I'm just trying to figure out. You know, Matt was kind of talking about where his Beatles affinity really lies, where there's those middle albums. So for me, I'm trying to figure out. You know, where does this album? Not necessarily rank in terms of all time albums, but where does this rank in terms of my favorite Beatles albums? So. I'm wondering how how much you guys and your your knowledge of this are going to influence me by the end of this podcast on that. I would say now this is the best Beatles album. Uh, Just look at the list. (laughs) Just look over the list. (laughs) And again, I have a very small brain, so this is the way it goes. All right, Aaron, and I see your wife is behind you hauling a microwave back into the apartment, so I think that's very interesting. She, Aaron, she just went and, she went and cooked a bunch of crunch berries on the stove and brought them out to Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> they won't make fun of you anymore, Aaron. It's a, <laughs> she's got my Sorry, I didn't mean to say your voice like Funny, that. I got she's bad got news. I admitted to the podcast the other day we do not have a microwave, okay? She's got my yeah. back. Uh, so I, my my uh, Beatles phase um, st- sounds like it started about the same age as Emerson, so that's uh, well documented on the podcast. Uh, I thought that this was an album that I was not that into previously i i I think i owned it on cd i didn't remember it that well but um listening back again it reminded me that i did spend a lot of time like waiting until my whole family left the house and then trying so hard Uh to sing along with 
Paul oh. on Oh Darling, oh. which never, <laughs> mm-hmm. never went well for oh. me. But I really remember trying to trying to learn how to sing like a rock and roll singer, sing along with, singing along with Oh Darling. So um, I don't think it was the Beatles album I listened to the most. I know that was the White Album, but uh, listening through this again, I know now that so many of these songs run through my head on a semi daily basis. So it's uh, yeah, it's just kind of a, a song that, or an album that runs through my brain um, on the regular. Your stories of what you did when your parents left the house are way different than the stories yeah, of what they were. I think right? that's why you became that's why you became a music major and I didn't. I was at yeah. home microwaving crunch berries. I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs> Where do the crunch berries go? Why does the microwave smell so good? <laughs> that's what they call like, it these days. Yeah, it's better than the neighbors being like, oh we why why is that howling dog upstairs in your house? Oh, it's your son trying to sing along with Paul McCartney, you know? Yeah. But it's your dog. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, we know you grew up in Iowa, Aaron, so your closest neighbors were like 11 miles away. <laughs> yeah. This is all the way up to number five on the list. Let's talk about the cover of this album real quick before we get into anything else. This cover shows the four guys walking across uh, Abbey Road. Oh, oh, think about it. Uh, and it's it has uh, Lennon in, in the front, followed by uh, Ringo, and then Paul, and then George in the back. And it's the first album that they released without the name The Beatles or the name of the album on the cover of it. And so they basically they had like 10 minutes to take this iconic photo. This is the one they picked. But this is what led to the whole John is uh, – or not John is dead. God, I wrote down John is dead. I'm an idiot. Uh, the whole Paul is dead theory. So what do you guys know about the Paul McCartney is dead theory with The Beatles? I guess this was one thing I was hoping Emerson could touch on because he's probably got a little more experience. But I think he is the I don't know if I don't know if this is necessarily where this theory began. I think the theory began many, many years before this. Right, Emerson. And I think if you look yeah. at the album cover, isn't it? So you've got John in the front. And he's wearing white. He's kind of the the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to call it. And then you've got the priest. The priest, and you've got Ringo behind him, and he's wearing black. And he's kind of the what would his role Paul be? Bear. He would be the he's the pallbearer. And then you've got Paul Bear. Paul, who's wearing no shoes, and <laughs> supposedly he's the dead body. And then the person at the end is George, and he's wearing blue, which represents the gravedigger. Am I right? That's exactly right. The monster truck? Gravedigger. <laughs> Wednesday, Paul Wednesday, Bear? Wednesday. The Beatles are taking this picture out here. Wednesday. 20 trucks. For 20 bucks. That's a buck a truck. <laughs> is it, is it the White Album where the track is. has the outro that's Paul's dead, Miss Him, Miss Him? Is that on the White Album? That's on the White Album. Yeah. Yes. yeah. It's right so, after John's big song, Truckzilla. Come back, Truckzilla. Eat. Ringo in the truck with the arms. You remember the truck, the monster truck that had the huge arms? Which one was that one? Gravedigger, Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Come see Paul get crushed by the Gravedigger. Okay, fine. You guys don't want to talk about monster trucks with the huge arms. Obviously, we grew up in totally different families. I was at home microwaving everything. Uh, all but, right. But my understanding with that, my understanding is that there was a point where Paul was always out in the public, and at some point, he kind of became a little more recluse and was like off away with his family, and this started this kind of theory that he had died right emerson i don't know if it was like after sergeant peppers but i think it was quite a bit earlier than this album am i right yeah i mean there was some radio um dj apparently this is all a conspiracy theory but some radio dj in 1969 um came out with this theory that paul was no longer with us um and he came up with um, some different clues and then people just fed onto it. And the whole the whole idea is that Paul died on November 9th, 1966. 
And it was, uh, he had driven away from the studio and he was involved in some car crash. Um, and that the conspiracy theory is that the other Beatles decided they needed to keep this under wraps. They wanted to keep this great truck moving forward. Um, and so they replaced him with a lookalike. And then the theory is they dropped sly hints throughout the rest of their albums to cover up the scam. Um, hey guys, it's and- me, Paul McCartney. <laughs> I'm not dead. <laughs> And so there's all, all these different things. I mean, among them are like Billy Shears, which is on Sgt. Pepper's. That's apparently the name of the guy that replaced Paul McCartney. Um, and so they sing about Billy Shears in that song. Um, Day in the Life, John says that, uh, you know, he blew his mind out in a car. So that's the car crash. Mm-hmm. Um, on the cover of Sgt. Pepper, on the sleeve, Paul wears this patch that says OPD, which means officially pronounced dead. Um, and that, you know... Uh, bare feet on the Abbey Road cover that symbolizes death and that he's also holding his cigarette in the right hand. Whereas we all know Paul is a lefty, right? Of course. Oh, yeah. 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 And then the Volkswagen, Rob, in the back of that picture, the Volkswagen behind um, George, it has on its license plate, it says 28 IF, which means that's how old Paul would have been if he were alive. (laughs) Um, All right, I'm in. He's dead. Awesome. <laughs> the most, uh, you know, a few of the other famous ones are, you know, I'm so, I think you guys mentioned this, that Paul is dead, miss him, miss him, miss him. That's if you play I'm so tired backwards. But um, I think we have a couple clips here too. Um, I think another great one that we all have probably heard about is just on Strawberry Fields forever. And at the end of that. I buried Paul, it right? It says, I buried Paul. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, which John later said was him saying cranberry sauce. And if you listen wait, to it what? again and, and listen <laughs> to it, wait, oh, wait, cranberry the hell? sauce. Wait, oh, wait, wait. What wait, a great wait. band, by the way. How, how, yeah. does, how do you get cranberry sauce? They should be on this list. I buried Paul. Um, listen to it again. Replay it. See that's, if you hear cranberry sauce. Okay, here we go. I'm going to turn it up. Turn it up, Turn it up, Oh my God! He says I bury Paul. I'm into this. Ron Barry. Ron Barry. What's the next one, Emerson? What's the next one I got here? Glass onion. Yeah. So the the last thing I was going to bring up was just that um, on the Magical Mystery Tour, some of the pictures. I think actually on the cover, Paul is dressed as a black walrus, and apparently in the Scandinavian <laughs> culture, that's like a bad omen. Um, and so in the song Glass Onion on the White Album, John sings. I'm in. I'm telling you guys. Yeah, he's gone. He's gone. I've got I've got such a small brain. I'm like, this all does make sense <laughs> to me. This is one but of those cool conspiracies, too, that's pre-internet. How do conspiracy theorists then explain the rest of Paul's career? This is just this is Billy Shears who went on to do Ram and have wings and all of this. Yeah, he changed his name, Aaron. Don't you get what we're talking about? He changed I mean, his name to they, Paul McCartney. So like they just think like this guy really I don't know, man. But I so mean Emerson, isn't the isn't the whole glass onion? Isn't that isn't John just admitting that he's like playing up to all of these stupid ass theories and like <laughs> like look at the glass onion? You know what I mean? Like that yeah. you guys are just nuts. Like 
So he's just feeding into it. Isn't that the whole song about just feeding into all of this frenzy about all this crap? Yeah, and you know, he's known to be very whimsical, right? So he likes yeah. to play around with the the media and right. he just never gives a straight answer. So we, we, I think we, that's we, we don't spot call on. that whimsical on this podcast, we call that being a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey Russell, Bob. thanks for going on that date with me. You were so whimsical. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for showing up wearing that walrus suit too. That would look great. In a lot of Norwegian cultures, this is actually a bad sign. Uh, this is this is the one W of a good date, my walrus outfit. Uh, okay, so let's talk about this album real quick. Talk about Abbey Road. Uh, this is the last recorded Beatles album. This is this is their swan song. And basically, we're, we're leading up to this. They had recorded the White Album previously. Obviously, this is their last one. Uh, and it, basically, the White Album is just them fighting the whole time, right? And anybody can jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. This is just me skimming Wikipedia. Uh, and basically, like uh, John said, that Obla Di Obla Da was granny music, and Paul responded by taking four days to record that song, which you can imagine that noise that opening riff of obadi obada playing over and over and over for four days i think that would drive anybody to break up the band and then they came together and did let it be which was an album that they were also going to pair a movie with right like a record is i haven't seen the movie but is it just them recording the album that's the movie of it and then they wanted to do a big concert at the end and then they all decided not to do a concert and said they did it on a rooftop or something but basically they fought the whole time right wrong anything yeah yeah, I think they're basically falling apart, yeah. Yeah, they had cameras around him all the time, and it was a really discouraging way of producing music, they found. Uh, but they did do that rooftop concert in January of 69, and I think had fun with it, but um, then kind of left uh, for for their holidays, respective holidays, and kind of went off on their own. Um, and And then this is where Abbey Road comes back in the summer. So then basically after the White Album, George Martin had gotten a lot of credit or before the White Album, George Martin had gotten a lot of credit for making the Beatles who they are. The Beatles did not like that. So basically during the White I, I Album, like George Game of Thrones work way better than the Beatles <laughs> yeah. stuff. But that joke never gets old. Ended, he could have ended it a little quicker. But then, then they come, they beg George Martin to come back. They say, listen, we know that Let It Be was really kind of a disaster. Uh, George Harrison had tried to had quit for a while on that. But they promised like basically we'll be good boys for you, Matt. So we we keep we keep saying that this is the last album, but I'm you know I'm not yeah. doing much research, but I'm looking up their discography discography on Wikipedia and it says Let It Be is their last album. What's that? That's that's when it was released. They actually recorded yeah. Let It Be before, but okay. then they were doing overdubs and editing. Uh, Rob, we've got an expert on the podcast. I'd like to have him answer. Thank you. I appreciate you calling me an expert. <laughs> Finally, I'm getting the validation I always wanted. I can quit this podcast. No, I, I don't have it. Rob's right. It was just all about when it was released? Okay. Yeah, it was released in, I think, March of 70, but it was all recordings, for the most part, um, back in very early 69. And will you say that just a little clearer? I mean, everybody will be quiet so that Rob can get that sound bite because he's going to run that into the ground. That Rob's yeah. wrong! Yeah, oh, Rob's right. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I was not definitely about to make that exact same joke. Yeah. Uh, so then, basically, this this after Let It Be, they started recording Abbey Road like three weeks later. Uh, and they, they, they're, they're trying to get along better, but they're still having issues. And a huge one is still revolving around John Lennon, the relationship between John Lennon and Yoko Ono, where basically Yoko has started to come into the studio all the time. She's, she speaks, she speaks for John. And so basically they have to kind of placate Yoko all the time to keep John there. And one thing Yoko did that I thought was very funny is that she kept referring to the band as Beatles instead of the Beatles, and it just bugged the hell out of them. They constantly told her, like, no, it's the Beatles. And she's like, 
yes, Beatles love this. Beatles are very good. And they're like, no, it's just beats the Beatles. Um, it's, it's just so petty. I think it's great. And in fact, to the point where they got in a car accident for part of this and um, John had a bed brought into the studio so Yoko could lie in the bed and watch them record from the bed. It's sort of like when Rob's wife is mad at him, she calls him Roy. <laughs> could you imagine? I couldn't imagine having a wife that wants to watch me do what I do that much where she would be like, bring a bed in for me so I can watch you teach. Bring a bed so I can watch you play video games. Yeah, you'll notice there's no ladies in any of our podcast studios right now. No, if anything, my wife encourages me to do this. She's like, yes, please do this. Please record this podcast late at night and leave me alone. Uh, and so basically they kind of they kind of were working through the, this whole album is kind of there realizing that things are going south pretty quickly to the point where they actually said that John said, listen, I'm going to take the second or I'm going to take the first side of the album. You take the second side of the album and we just won't. Well, that'll help us not argue as much. Uh, but still afterwards, John said, well, you know, the medley stuff that Paul did, I hated it. It's more granny music. He loved that insult. And then technically this album, they started using an eight track recorder. Uh, so instead of four tracks and squishing it down, they now have an eight track. And this is the only album they ever released in, not in mono. This is in stereo. Mm -hmm. Um, so like his drum solo, they actually mic the the drums on two sides so you can kind of hear it fill out the whole thing. So let's get into the album. Let's come together and talk about this album. Oh, there you go. I did it. Nailed it. Transitioned me into forcing me to play music. <laughs> Actually, generally, Rob, you miss those transitions. <laughs> I ignore them. I don't miss them. Yeah, there you go. What is that sound in the beginning? The I don't even. I don't even know. Is it a weirdo? It says shoot them. What? Shoot them. Oh, there's their their lyrics. Actually, yeah, it's either a drug reference. Like heroin, because John at this time was known to be on heroin. Oof. Um, or it's a sort of a political statement. Play it real quick again. What? Real quick, just to, sh- to shoot them. Yeah, oh. I guess. No, yeah. I Glad we got an expert. Yeah, I didn't know that one. <laughs> Guys, that's actually them saying shoot them, and that's something I had written down. <laughs> uh, you can't see it on my screen, of course. But what, what is that? What is that? In, why is this a political song, Emerson? It could be because John really he composed this um, as come together as sort of a campaign slogan or a song for this um, drug guru at the time, LSD and marijuana guru. His name was Timothy Leary. Oh yeah, turn on, tune in, and drop out. Yeah, and you know he was actually running for governor of California, I believe it was, against Ronald Reagan. Um, so John kind of had this song for that, and um, but I think they really turned it into something, obviously much much larger than just a, a campaign. They actually got John Lennon got sued by um, Chuck Berry's record people, his his the record label of Chuck Berry, because he stole that opening line of "Here Comes Flat Top" from Chuck Berry's. Uh, you can't catch me. Here it is. He just ripped it straight off. Oh, yeah. Wow. And he said, he's like, oh, yeah, no, I took it from that Chuck Berry song. And they're like, oh, okay, man. well. So then there's this big lawsuit. And as a result, John Lennon had to record three songs for that record label. 
as the result of that lawsuit. So that's how they got money out of them. Is what that, a bizarre settlement. Yeah. Right. Hey, we're, we're pissed that you stole our music. Now we need to use you to make but, money for other songs. Yeah. Right. Well, we saw that with Marvin Gaye, right? Like where he got, he got divorced and they're like, okay, you need to make a record. And he's like, I'm going to make the shittiest record ever. And if we make it to 500, we get to record on here, on here, my dear. And you guys are, you're not going to get a word in. Cause I love that album so much. You're, I'm going to have to talk about it the whole time. Oh my God. What, what are we on now? What album is this? Is this like four, four fifty nine? Oh, this is five. So we only have to do what we've done now a hundred more times, and we'll get to talk about Marvin Gaye's. Oh my gosh, guys, this is a great idea. This we should. This is a great idea. We should definitely keep doing this. Uh, I read that. I read that Lennon wrote this song in a bed-in event with Yoko Ono. So did they just like stay in their bed all the time, or what were these bed-in events that they keep talking about? What were they betting on? Yeah, they were. I guess I don't I don't know that much about them, but yeah, it was a form of protest, right? They would sleep, they'd be in a bed all day. I mean, we had a friend who tried that in college, but it didn't get as much public publicity. I don't know. Was there he sex made it, happening? He made it like thirty six hours. I, I think know. he was in bed. Did he? When did he get up to go to the bathroom? We we allowed we, him we to allowed get up him, and go yeah. to the bathroom, and we gave him three items. So essentially, he had a TV remote, his books for his class, and then he had some sort of stick. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> why do you have a stick? <laughs> To so turn on so he could like turn the lights off and change stuff. the channel on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> so you force somebody to stay in bed for 36 hours. No, no he, it was he kind bet. of bet us that he could do it. And so we said, there's no way. And, and okay. this person was in bed for 36 straight. Was that the bet? 36 straight hours? Well, I think they were going to try to do three days and they made it, I think, a day and a half. Yeah, I think it was supposed, oh. to, be, supposed to be like an entire weekend. Uh, but yeah, I think John and Yoko were doing it for a purpose, right? They were trying to call attention to their causes, right? They That person, our friend, did not compose the lead track on the fifth greatest <laughs> album of all time, according to Rolling Stone. So it, it, it didn't quite get the same publicity as Aaron You said. want to talk about beds. You know what? Um, Jenny and I just went and bought a bed at Bloomingdale's, right? The bed is obscenely expensive. Aaron, Aaron, say, say amount of money, and I'll just say more or less. 5000 Oh, more. Uh, the bed was, the bed was obscenely, but it is as hard as a rock. It is the best bed I've ever owned. It's like sleeping on the floor. It is so comfortable to me. I love it. It'll loosen up. It'll loosen up. Oh no, it does. It's not. The guy said it's not going to. And for the price you paid, it better be right. It's so great. (laughs) I love it. It's the hardest bed of all time. And I just, I can't get enough of it. And then I got this huge pillow. Oh my God. It's just wonderful. I'm, I'm in heaven. All right. So. Guys, listen, enough bed talk, okay? You sick freaks wanted to talk about bed all the time. By the way, Russell, that's the one B of a good date. Talk about your bed. Uh, all right, Harrison uh, something. You're asking me will my love grow? Is this the perfect song? Yes. Yeah. No. What? What's wrong with it then? I think in a lot of ways, George Harrison sounds like the only one who's still trying on this album. You can hear him really growing into his next thing. And I'll, um, I'm going to say the same thing about Paul, probably when we hear some other tunes, but maybe John was the only one who'd given up at this point. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about the end when we get there. Cause... You, you might be right, though, no. Rob. I read that Lennon and McCartney both love this song, and, and those guys don't strike me as the guys who gave out compliments to their... The other bandmates for for having a great they song. They knew that he was a phenomenal musician, and he didn't cause any waves hardly ever. And you know, I think they always were trying to talk him up over mm. you know as being better than everybody kind of gives him credit for. Because early on, he was always maybe Emerson can chime in on this, but early on, I could chime in George, too. Yeah, we don't care what your <laughs> take is, Rob. Yeah. 
But I mean, George never, he didn't sing until, he didn't, or he didn't have a, uh, a song until Sgt. Pepper? Or was it uh, Rubber Soul? Did he have one in Rubber Soul? But there's something where he didn't have a song forever. Yeah. And then, you know, he started coming on onesie twosies and everybody loved his songs. And so I think they were constantly trying to talk him up mm. more than. But didn't the, they try to boot him? Didn't they try to replace him in the band with Eric Clapton at one point? That's no. when he quit. Oh, OK. He quit for a while. He said, basically, fuck you guys. I'll see you in the clubs. I'm out of here. And they were like, let's bring in Eric Clapton. So we'll talk about Eric Clapton, and George Harrison in a little bit later. But yeah, that's another have, good story right have, there quite the relationship going on. Yeah. I think, you know, George, George Harrison, he was a couple years younger than the rest of the guys. And I think when they were growing up, um, you know, he was definitely, you know, always sort of that, um, younger brother, so to speak. Um, but he kind of fought tooth and nail and became by this time, just a really phenomenal musician, not just a lead guitarist. Um, and uh, you know, he had songs before this time period, but I think this was, you know, like this became an A side single, um, I think it's it's too bad that they technically made um, uh, come together the other A single. So it's kind of like, why didn't they just give George his one A side instead of making yeah. two A sides? Um, but no, this this song is just the the writing on it, um, the guitar solo, um, the message behind it. It's just it's it's a all around just a phenomenal song. I think this is the first number one single that the Beatles released that was not uh, L- McCartney Lennon written song and frank sinatra who also covered this song said it was the best love song ever written all right guys it's hammer time <laughs> oh yes open zone this is one of my favorite songs by the beatles i don't know why but i think it's fit goes with like rocky raccoon it fits in with some of those other ones on the White Album that are just great to listen to. And I don't know why I like them, but this is one of my favorite songs in the album. Well, I can tell you who disagrees with you, and that is everyone in the band except for Ringo. <laughs> I don't think Ringo ever disagreed with anything. I think they'd be like, Ringo, you should chop off two of your fingers. And he's like, yes, I should. That's a good idea. And that was my Ringo impression, by the way. Very That's distinct. That's a great Ringo No, it's very yeah. distinct from my Paul impression. It's very, very different. Paul just couldn't escape that vaudeville history of his family. I right. like it when he draws right. on it. And basically, he made them practice that over and over until it was totally perfect, and it drove everybody absolutely crazy. And I think that's actually when um, George Harrison quit is because of Maxwell's Silver Hammer, which I think is very – I think that's very funny. All right, next one. Now picture Aaron. His parents leave the house. Aaron goes up to his room, locks his door, gets comfortable on his bed. Oh, no. And we start oh, to no. hear – <laughs> this song bangs. This right, it just knocks. Apparently, Paul came in every day, and this was the first take he would do. Just try to sing the song, and then if it didn't work on the first one, he's like, "I don't want to. I don't want to do it." He wanted his voice to sound like he'd been on the road for a long time. I read that Lennon thought he should have sang this instead of Paul, and. I, I love this song, but I kind of agree. Don't you feel like this fits more with what John Lennon, how his voice would sound? Yeah, kind of a scream, kind yes. of a guttural roar. Yeah. But yeah, I think this is just a phenomenal uh, vocal performance by Paul. I mean, he just really brings it out um, throughout this song. Shout out Ringo discovering some syncopation on the drums, too. 
What? 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 Nineteen sixty-nine. We're finally playing like some sixteenth notes in here off the. You know, this is Aaron admitting uh-huh. to us he doesn't have a sink in his house. He's like, yeah, my <laughs> wife said no sink. <laughs> we had to put it in a syncopation. It's kind of like a sink, but it's outdoors and it's a hose. That's <laughs> all I get to use. Uh, next one, Octopus's Garden. Love this song. Me too. This I, is in my head all week. I listen to this over and over, and I, I gotta say, I love the Ringo songs. When Ringo sings the songs, they, they're my favorite. I know they're basic and simple. I love listening to I'd them. Like to be they're so sweet, aren't they? Like, you just get this sweet, warm feeling. In an octopus's garden. I love this. this We're all great. Ringos. That's the problem with this podcast. We're all Ringos. We don't have any Pauls. Is this George I'm, on the guitar? Because George does this a few times. George. The, rock, the Rockabilly guitar is so good for him. Yeah, they really collaborated a lot on this song. I think George was pumping Ringo up for bringing this to the group. And yeah, right. Really lent a good guitar solo for sure. Sure. So I saw that this was only the second song that Ringo had ever wrote. Do you think he wrote songs and brought them to them and they just said no, no, no? Or did he just know that's not his wheelhouse, he stayed out of it? Or how do you think that worked? Oh, yeah, I think he was totally the redheaded stepchild of music writing for the Beatles. I think they stomped him down. They were like, this guy can't sing. I mean, come on, guys. Ringo's not really a singer, is he? No. I would have taken another another dozen Octopus Garden songs. I would have been down with that for certain. Yeah, it's a good one. I'll say it again. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you ever need to sing a karaoke song, just pick a Ringo, Ringo. song. That's that would be man. perfect. You'll never, you'll never yep. be in trouble. Yep, you got that little range. I'd but. like to be <laughs> under the sea in an octopus's garden. I love it. Very yeah, good. My kids love this song, too. Aaron steps up, and you just see Oh Darling come up on the screen. You're like, oh, no, Aaron, not to karaoke, not <laughs> Oh Darling. No, don't do it, right? You're going to embarrass yourself. How many beers have you Aaron had and I would, I come up, and it's Maxwell Silver Hammer. I'm like, everybody loves this song. Let's go. <laughs> Rob's just slamming the hammer on the back of the bar. and. <laughs> I want you. She's heavy. So heavy. I'll, I'll say this, Rob. This is like one of my favorite Beatles songs. I know it's really a John song, but just how this song progresses into this ultimate cataclysmic jam session at the end. Yeah, it really is the two sections, right? It's this section, yeah. and then there's the kind of the big time rock at the end of it. I have it's that a here. John song, but it's still Paul. It's still Paul playing. It's still Paul playing bass, right? Yeah, Paul's so. on bass, and if the bass is just—it's melodious. I think yes. Rob, you mentioned this when you were talking about Revolver, but Paul's bass is just as important as a lead guitar on, the, on a song like this. Yeah, he's singing on it for sure. Yeah, so let's. The second part of the song sounds like this, right? I mean, and and this is kind of. I, I put this in because I think the cut is so interesting. All right, so here's the second part of "I Want You" and to end side one of the album. This is just haunting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Totally. And it just goes and, on like way, way, way too long. Like you're listening, you're and like, there's it's about end. eighteen different levels. Just they just merged one on top of each other over many months of recording, and then they get to this part. Now listen to where he cut it, though. Listen to the end of the side one. That's not me. That's the actual end of the song. Yeah, That's cool. and then yeah. it's hilarious that it goes right into the next song, yeah. which I think is... And I mean, it really, it's such a change. <laughs> but you had like, to flip the wild, record. Wild but, but Rob's saying that's the end of side one, right? Yeah. So you would have had to get yep, up and flip the, the record. Side one. That's a very good point, Aaron. I mean, I, I actually have the record behind me here, and it is true. Like, you oh, get flex. to the end of that, 
I want you. And you're like, holy cow, that just blew my mind. And then you flip it and it's just a completely different sound. Totally different vibe, I think that's right? just, that's very intentional and just so cool. Here comes the sun. And I think this has probably one of the... Go ahead, Even the very beginning of this song is so quiet and so, like, beautiful that it's just, it's hilarious when you're, to me, when you're listening to it with streaming because you go from that just heavy, 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 and then it just, like, it's it's cool. I liked it. So this is another George Harrison song. Uh, He was busy at a business meeting. So at this time, the Beatles, had they started this Apple corporation? Yeah. Apple was 1968. The Beatles decided one of the most rock and roll things they could possibly do is to start an LLC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look out. Um, and so they decided that they're going to start this. And, of course, it was terrible. It lost tons of money, and it was super stressful because it turns out no rock and roll guys want to run a business except for Paul. So he got mad about it. But they had to sit in all these meetings, and Harrison left the meeting and went and sent Eric Clapton's garden. Uh, to write this, to write the, to write, uh, here comes the sun, and we get this beautiful song, and you don't hear, but he he actually re, re did a last verse that's not included in the song, where specifically to Eric Clapton, where he asked Eric Clapton to not raw dog his wife, uh, <laughs> and of course that is that the technical term? Yes, that's what, no, that's what he said. I'm just quoting George. I, you know, I, it I, must be a British thing. That was a long setup for a really good joke, Rob. I got to give you thank you. Props. I just... Thank you. <laughs> uh, no, I well, no, but it's true though, right? Like it, it's so yeah. the, the, the relationship between George Harrison and Eric Clapton is so fascinating because for those of you that didn't know, George Clapton did sleep with George Harrison's wife, and then wrote the song Layla about it. So not only did he sleep with his wife, he wrote like a hit song. About one like probably one of the more songs. terrible moments in George Harrison's life. I wanted to say one thing about "Here Comes the Sun" because I'm thinking more now that we now that we listen more and talk about this. I'm thinking about this uh, George and Ringo pairing. I think I think George is bringing out the best in Ringo again here. Ringo's like really on it on this track, and you guys know I don't love his drumming, but I think that that he's really. I think he's bringing his best. I, I believe so technically, cool. Aaron, once you called him a shit drummer is what you called him. <laughs> to be clear, that's, that's you, called him, technical you, you called him a shit drummer. I think I, you learned that in your third year of music school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he is. But he's doing some stuff where he's kind of doubling the rhythms on George's guitar and his, uh, I don't know if it's the snare or what. He's, I don't know he's that not well, so shitty. Yeah, I think he's, uh, he's coming along. I, I just want to tell you guys, we have not hit a, any sort of anything that's not a great song yet, right? I mean, there has been no low point on this album so far. It's a it's a killer side one. It's got to be one of the best side ones. We've seen we yet. haven't heard because yet. All right, here Ooh. comes. Geez, Aaron coming in hard. Sometimes Aaron, Aaron. Sometimes Aaron doesn't really appreciate you know. Oh no. Classical music though. <laughs> he might be in for a rude awakening here. All right. Yeah, Aaron, you dumb shit. You don't like classical music, like <laughs> me, a smart guy. This is all about opinions, right? Is that a harpsichord? Moonlight sonata backwards. What's that? Moonlight sonata backwards. This is? Uh, Adna so. Essentially. Unimo. Oh, you didn't want me to say Moonlight Adna Sonata. Adna so tia like noon. <laughs> Great. Now I got to edit out my part of the joke and just put in your but part so of the Emerson, joke because it was better. It, Emerson, yeah. isn't it the case that <laughs> Lennon asked Yoko Ono to play that song? Yeah. Back yeah, like, this where this came from. Yoko's playing Moonlight Sonata and he's like, holy cow, that's awesome. And then he's like, can you play that backwards? And that's really where that the sound comes from. I mean, if you listen to both of them, they're, and I'm, they're right there. I'm pretty sure that's the it's harpsichord, cool. correct? 
Yeah, that's a harpsichord. And so harpsichord. the Beatles have had a few harpsichord songs. I think there was harpsichord on that little piggies song or whatever that piggies. song. And then in my yeah. life, they didn't they play the the piano quicker to make it sound like the harpsichord they or something up, along yeah, those so lines. Like harpsichord. Oh, I was hoping you'd say there's a harpsichord so I could correct you. Damn but, it! But what's frustrating about this is the harpsichord is kind of this classical instrument from the baroque period from the 1500s to the 1800s area and maybe you're not aware of that if it's not baroque don't fix it (laughs) 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 well it actually got baroque i believe aaron correct me if i'm wrong because the piano proved to be a superior instrument and kind of put the harpsichord on the back burner but you guys know that there are actually some really awesome harpsichord songs in contemporary music and that's this is another Beck did it better countdown. It's 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 time. Four, three, two, one. For another Beck did it better countdown. I'm excited for this one. I couldn't say exactly why the piano overtook the harpsichord. More octaves, I guess. No, it's. I believe it's because a piano hits the keys. A, a piano hits the keys, whereas the harpsichord plucks them. So when you hit the piano key, you can do it softer or harder to make the sound louder or softer. Whereas you can't do that on a harpsichord, is my understanding. Oh right, yeah, yeah, you, you're totally right. So the first, the first greatest harpsichord I'm, in contemporary music. These are Russ, modern songs Russ, Russ, featuring Russ. the harpsichord. Can you just wait a second? I'm going to edit yep. this joke out, but I have to say it because it's in my All brain. Right. It's kind of like having. Okay, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Don't reference this later, so I have to keep it in. Hey, Rob, keep editing, edit this out, but I just want to say to the rest of the guys, I have been hearing really bad jokes like that for like 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Rob is the exact same as he, today as he was back when I was a kid because he'd say something and nobody would laugh and he'd always like, oh, okay, yeah. I guarantee Rob gave Emerson a signal to make a joke that would be funny enough to where now Rob gets to keep his other joke in. That, and that was, that was definitely a ward plan. There's no question. <laughs> so brilliant. Yeah, every, every single, uh, oh wait, hold, hold on guys. Um, Rob says that um, uh, definitely said this back when he was a kid. I've been going through this for 40. Yeah. So. Well, guys, it's like I always say, if it's not Baroque, don't fix it. You know? <laughs> and I just I don't keep going to the well on the same joke over and over until it's not funny anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. So here what I put together is, you know, Aaron gets so stuck in his music. He doesn't ever reach out and listen to new types of music. So I it's wanted true. to introduce him to this classical instrument again, the Baroque harpsichord. So what I'm going to do is give you the top five list of modern songs that feature a harpsichord and see what you guys think. I'm here for it. So Can't the first wait. song is actually Eminem, The Real Slim Shady. All right. May I have your attention, please? A classic harpsichord May tune. I yeah. Right? I never would have, I wouldn't have come up with this. And does anyone know, was there an actual harpsichord in the studio with Em and Dre? No way. There's no way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, Dr. Dre's yeah, like on the harpsichord. Yeah. <laughs> He's wearing one of those big, like, powdered wigs that goes all the way back in. All right, the number two song on the list is The Black Keys, Too Afraid to Love You. Black Keys don't get enough respect. I love the Black Keys. I mean, in, ter- in the smaller circles, they do. They're, you know, high reverence, but, like, oh, the ooh, that's a cool, everyday yeah, public. Sound. Yeah. Uh, they've got a couple Beatles covers, too, right? Bring it a full circle. 
I like that. I think like you have a song with Ray Kwan, too, that's awesome. Are we starting a harpsichord revolution? I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the harpsichord revolution is on. Nice pull, when you, take, when you take the jazz flute and the harpsichord, we're putting together quite a quite a, a moment of music knowledge here. We need to go for Baroque. <laughs> <laughs> well, if this Rob, I'll be Bach in a second. Uh, oh no! Oh, no. Uh, Do you know who the president of the harpsichord is? Who? Barack Obama. <laughs> I couldn't even get through. It was too funny. All right, the, ne- the third song the on the list, and I think these only keep getting better and better, so let me know what you guys think of this one. This is The Stranglers, and the song is called Golden Brown. What? On the ship, oh, I've heard this song. This is a good song. Hold on, this is going to crank here. Oh, it's like Aaron practicing that song. Oh, it's like a harpsichord yeah. feature. Yeah. Yeah, this rips, man. I don't know this song. How'd you find this? This is a good song. Put it in the rotation. Rosie. Yeah, I, I'm going to. This is good. But so this is where my music versatility comes in. Aaron always gets way too outside of the the, the lane, but sometimes I can find a mod a band that everyone knows that also features the harpsichord. So we're gonna go with number two, <laughs> The Doors, who people know. Love me two times is the song. Check out this harpsichord. It's a great. I song. do know this song. Oh, yeah, great. Oh, this harpsichord is jamming right now. Yeah? And you know this is a real harpsichord, too. They're just jamming. Ironically, Eminem played this harpsichord. A lot of people don't know that. (laughs) (laughs) So the last song on the list, and this is a cool one because I've heard of the band Vampire Weekend, but I don't really know their music, and I know they're on the list later on. But check out this song by Vampire Weekend. It's called Step. Check out the harpsichord here. You always stepped my girl. Oh. I love harpsichord music. I'm going to ask Alexa to play harpsichord. Is this awesome or what? That's great. It's great. I always love that feeling of weightlessness, too, where there's like a kind of thicker instrumentation than like some drums hit, and now it's just sparse. I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to this Vampire Weekend album. Eight years down the road, or whatever we get to cover it. What is this? Whoa! Yeah. That's that Vampire Weekend. Yeah. That's Eminem doing both. He loves the stuff. That was not Eminem. Now that I've taken you back through this this classical music, Aaron and Matt and Emerson and Rob, what was your favorite harpsichord song in modern music? I loved that. Um, I loved that last one. I thought that was really yeah. cool. I thought they used it to a great effect of like, it sounded like the whole music expanded when it started. Emerson, which one was your favorite? You know, I really liked that step song. Yeah. I, I haven't, I hadn't heard that before, but that's a really great melody. And I just think it's so cool that an instrument, as you pointed out from all these centuries ago is still relevant today. I think that's so cool. Like a flute. <laughs> or was that jazz harpsichord on that last one or regular harpsichord <laughs> guys wait till we get to a song at the end where the Beatles are hitting a bone on a rock I've got a whole list for that it's really good it's the original <laughs> yeah, music you got a, a bone list uh, guys it's just like the Olympics it's time to get into the medleys <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I pause for a laugh <laughs> 
All right, so this is a bunch of songs. I think Aaron referred to it on one podcast as, didn't the Beatles just not finish a bunch of songs? I mean, how did they come up with this idea? Is it literally what it is? It's just a bunch of half-written songs? They're like, ah, throw it on there. I think this is like their operatic, their first venture into that. I mean, maybe of, of any big, huge artist of the time. And I think they just combined all these songs that are really short. I mean, they're only like a minute long, right? right. If that. Yeah, it's eight songs that go 16 minutes. Yeah, so I mean, they're just, I, I think they had a whole bunch of stuff and they just wanted this idea of continuity and um, they, they really pull it off here. All right, you never give me your money. Oh. When this song kicks in, this, that's a holy shit moment, yeah, right? It's yeah. good. What I love about this song is, I mean, this is Paul talking about the money tra- problems that you were referencing earlier, Rob. Yeah. You know, it's it's about, you know, paper money and funny money, all that. But then he gets into this part and he's talking about being free. And he's kind of looking forward to his solo experience, talking about the magic feeling right now. Nowhere to go. Sun King. All right. So that was the clip I put in for Sun King, which is very good and not at all. This is the song I completely forgot. I just, this song didn't stick in my mind. I know much of the rest of this medley, and somehow Sun King just blanked for me until I went back and listened again. Maybe it's just because it's slow? I don't know. I think it's a low point of the album, personally. But I think they've sort of gone to the well on these sort of like sunshiny California harmonies maybe one too many times. Anybody have anything to say about Sun King? Nope. Me and Mr. Right. Let's do it. Sun King. Yeah, I love, mean Mr. Mustard. There's definitely got to be conversation about this. <laughs> like, was it fancy mustard? Not fancy mustard? Oh, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I had some Dijon. mustard greens. I thought of you guys the other day because I put some fancy mustard on something. I was like, yeah, I wonder what the boys are up to. I'm going to be a mean old man when I use this fancy mustard. <laughs> <laughs> Russ, you're a mean old mustard. All right. This is such a weird song, but some of these be- these weird Beatles songs just jam, don't they? Yep. Has anybody tried to shave in the dark? That sounds terrible. <laughs> like, I have to shave the back of my head without looking, but like trying to shave your face in the dark? I don't know. I'm telling you, I Wait. shaved off my mustache three days ago. Nobody in my family has said anything. It's Did the this worst. inspire the back line about shaving your face with some mace in the dark? Probably not, right? <laughs> you guys know so much such more about that. Such a mean old back. man. I just love that they hear like, okay, we got this song. It's called Mean Mr. Mustard. Because you know how they wrote these songs is they basically would do a song, right? And then they just kind of sing nonsense to it and then keep whatever they thought would work. Yeah. You got to think Mean Old Mustard. They're like, listen, it's called Mean Old Mustard. We'll change it later. We're, <laughs> it's it's like going to be podcast. beautiful lyrics. And they're like, no, we quit the band. It's going to be Mean Old Mustard. That's the way it is. <laughs> We're not re-recording that. Speaking of great names, this is the song that's been stuck in my head all day from this album, Polythene Pam. Really? And I love this. Uh, you can hear this accent, the, the real accent that John has when he's singing this. His Liverpudlian accent? Yeah. What is Polythene? Is that something I should know what it is? It's plastic, and so part of this song is it's written by about this girl named Polythene Pat, who was a girl who actually ate plastic, uh, who used to come to all the Beatles concerts early on, um, like super early on before they were popular. 
Aaron's not allowed to have polythene in his house. <laughs> no, the environment. It's true. We have very little plastic in the house, as little as possible. But you know, I've chewed I've chewed on pen caps before, but not I've I am not known as somebody who's you know eating plastic. I've taken down a whole milk you jug. Guys. I've taken down no. a whole milk jug before. Not a big deal to me. <laughs> Hammer down. Uh, all right. She came in through the window. This is written by Paul about a fan who actually did come in through the window, which I think is setting a bad precedent. I think if <laughs> I, I never have women coming in through my window. It sucks. <laughs> Russ writes a song. She went out of the bathroom window at the restaurant. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, wait. I just think if you write a song about it, it's going to encourage more women to come in through your bathroom window. She came in through. She goes to me through the restaurant window. <laughs> A lot of women, if they came into my bathroom window and saw my bathroom, they would immediately turn out. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, I don't think most of these songs are finished, but I also think as you listen through this medley, probably each one of these songs inspired at least one band's entire career. Like, I, uh, a couple of these, like, I hear the flaming lips in here. I hear stuff that, for sure, artists of, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s had studied this and a little snippet here and there inspired somebody's entire career. So I think that says a lot about the Beatles. Really good point. What a whipsaw this is though, right? From Stevie wonder to this. Yeah. I mean, it's right. like Stevie wonder. We're dealing with seven, eight minute songs. And now all of a sudden we have these like two minute songs. I got to say, I love these little medleys. I love these two minute songs. I can't get enough of them. But then again, I have a very small brain. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Short attention this, is, this is why TikTok is so big. It's like, yeah, give me tick. This is like Beatles TikTok. All right, let's do it. We're going to do a TikTok dance for sure. <laughs> Golden Slumbers. Oh. One store's away. You know, Rob, pick up your guitar sometime and figure the chords out on this. This is a great song to uh, to sing along to, to play along with. Um, even though it's a piano song, but this is just a great intro to, I think, their sort of final three songs here. Sleep pretty dark. This is just a beautiful song to me. I rank this kind of with Blackbird as my two favorite Beatles songs that kind of hit me right in the harpsichord, if you will. Oh, you know, that's, they, they, that's they're nice. so good, they almost bring you to tears. Yeah. And he's going on those vocals. This is one that I didn't realize I knew all the words, but I, you know, playing it in the car today, I was like, oh, I know those words. His vocals on this are just unbelievable. He's getting into the throaty stuff again. It's like a song in like three movements, right? I mean, it's just it's so it's so gorgeous, and I yeah. and you can really hear when you listen to it that they really use that stereo. I think just like with so many of their albums, they you know are so far technically far ahead of other bands. You can tell they really thought about the stereo and where they're going to put it and how it would have the most effect of what they're going for. It's just lovely. Oh my god, what a great song! All right, so let's do uh, something. My this is. Uh, what my doctor said to me. Carry that weight. That's, uh... <laughs> I thought it was funny in my head. This was when I do my opening lyric in my, hey, Russ, how's it going? When I introduce myself, this was the only one I could even come close to otherwise, making some joke about my weight, and I decided <laughs> not to go that round. I took that. I took that bait. I don't know. You just get the feeling in the medley, right? Like, even if it's not really what was happening... You get the feeling like they were all working on these together. Like, yeah. it's kind of like they're coup de gras. You guys were talking earlier about how awesome the first half of this album was. I almost think the second half blows the first away. Like, what do you think, first half or second half of the album? What do you like more? 
Well, it's, it's John versus Paul, right? I would take the second half, I think, because I, I mean, the the Harrison songs in the first half to me are two of the better Beatles songs ever. But this whole suite of songs, I think, is looking toward the future of pop music. And at some point, they pulled all these ideas back together. You know, you hear "You Never Give Me Your Money" at the end of "Carry That Weight." Yeah, oh, it's it's just unbelievable. So let's go into the end, okay? So we have the last song. This is the last time that when the, they finally recorded the song, it was the last time all four Beatles were in the studio together. And they did something that the Beatles have never done before. And that is they gave Sweet Sweet Ringo a drum solo. Now, to be fair, <laughs> the reason they've never had a drum solo is that Ringo said he hated them, which is such a classic <laughs> Ringo thing to say, right? Like all these other guys want, they, they, they basically fired George Martin because he said he helped make uh, Sgt. Pepper what it was. They're always arguing about whose songs, who's going to get credit for the songs, who's going to do what. And Ringo's like, I don't want a solo. Please don't give me a solo. Like he, he does not want to cause any sort of trouble, but here's his solo. Now, if you listen to this, this is what I'm talking about with the drums being mic'd in stereo with the drums on the left-hand side of the kit being in the left ear and the drums on the right side of the kit being in the right ear. And you can hear it here. Aaron, how would this rank on a scale of one to shit drummer, one to ten? <laughs> ten being the shittiest? Yes. I mean, I don't know. I, I, like, I'm not an expert in drumming, so I'm not the one to say, but I think it's fairly rudimentary for the most part what Ringo does. Mm. I think Ringo was known as just, he was an excellent timekeeper, and that's why he was hired. I think leading up to him, the Beatles were struggling with all these different really bad drummers, including Pete Best, who just couldn't keep time. They finally found Ringo. And so all throughout the collective history of the Beatles, it's spot on in terms of his ability to drum to time. But when it comes to solos, I mean, nowadays, modern so drum solos, you got, what is it? Neil Pert from Rush. I mean, he's got like Matt Cameron a thousand different Jam. things in his kits. Yeah, exactly. And so Ringo doesn't stack up in the, in that regard, but it's fun that they gave him this, uh, this drum solo, I think. Well, and it's kind of fitting because right after this drum solo where it's Ringo's only drum solo, now we have these three guitar solos three times. So they each get two bars and it goes Paul, George, and John, Paul, George, and John, Paul, George, and John. And you can almost hear their individual personalities with these guitar solos. So the first one is Paul. The second one is George and the third one's John. Here we go. Here's Paul. And here comes George. Now listen how pissed off John is. <laughs> Back to Paul. For the grannies out there. And George. Is John happy yet? Let's see. Nope. <laughs> He's like, what what put this in a minor key. There's Paul. George. And the final Beatle guitar solo. Just rage against the machine there. <laughs> and then finally, the part that literally I was like, like making fries with my family. And I heard this lyric and I almost, I was tearing up the last part of the end. Why is this the first we're hearing about you making fries with your family? 
this is a story that, I need to know more about. That side, though. <laughs> I'll tell you what. There's a, we, there's actually a really funny. You guys remember when Chris Farley used to do that bit on SNL where he would interview like a famous person and he would get really nervous and start sweating and he would keep asking. He, he was just like, "Hey, yeah. do you remember when you were in the Beatles? Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome, man." And so, actually, my my friend Brandon told me about that that I should go check it out. And Chris Farley does that bit with Paul McCartney, and at the very end of that bit, he looks at Paul McCartney and he says. Is it true that the love you take is equal to the love you make? And McCartney smiles at him and Chris Farley just goes like, yeah, and like freaks out and goes into complete. And it's just the coolest moment ever. You guys, everyone needs to go check out Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney on SNL and you will die laughing. And when he says this quote at the end, it will... It'll just melt your heart. It's great. so good. That's That's part of what makes this podcast so wonderful, right? Like, I've heard that song a number of times, okay? But as soon as I realized, like, this, that was the Beatles sitting there realizing, like, we're done. This, we've, this is, we've spent literally a third of our lives with each other this whole time. We've been up, we've been down, we're the most famous people in the world, and we know it's over. And this is the last notes we're going to make together. Like, it's just as, like, it's heartbreaking, right? Yep. Yeah. Except for the studio guy who fucked up on this last one, <laughs> and it's Her Majesty. They were like, "That's." They're like, "Guys, that's probably the most beautiful way we can end." Oh, by the way, we're gonna stick this song on here that you said we want to delete it. So apparently, Paul said this was was supposed to be going between me, Mr. Mustard, and Paulathine Pam, and I'm gonna show you where it goes. But uh, Her Majesty was uh, just a little kind of acoustic guitar ditty, and Paul didn't like it in between, so he said, cut it out. The engineers had the instructions, don't throw away anything. We're not throwing away anything. So he put this on to the end of the production, uh, and then somebody put it on at the end of the master tape after a 20-second break, and it wasn't listed on the American release, so it was really one of the first secret tracks, one of our favorite things that we will always talk about. And this, this is Her Majesty. I mean, it's so good. But if you listen to the end of Mean Mr. Mustard, you can see right where Her Majesty goes. So listen to this. And that goes right into this. Right? Oh, yeah. Bum, 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 bum. So then... We don't have to listen to the whole thing, but that first, the end note of Her Majesty. Sorry, we're listening to it again. It's too good. It's too fun. It's kind of as a... Is this a conspiracy theory, Ralph? No, this is a real thing. So listen to this right here. See, so you hear how that note was cut? They cut it early because it's the first note in Polythene Pam. Right there. So it was that boom, boom. And that's where it fits in. And like so many things on this podcast, they had a great end. They should have ended it right with the end. It's the perfect end. And instead, they wasted their time with this dumb little thing like Her Majesty that nobody cares about. But it doesn't matter. Nobody's listening at this point anyway of the podcast. So that is it for Abbey Road. And guys, I got to say, I... I just cannot get enough of this album. I loved it. I thought there's it's it's all killer, and that only one filler. And even then, Russell taught us about the harpsichord. So now that's one of my favorite songs of all time. I love it. All right, uh, Matt, what do you think? I'll give you the honors of going first. Is this now Emerson? I need to explain this ranking system to you, and I know you probably already <laughs> okay. know about it, and you probably talked to your friends about it. 
<laughs> this is actually Kilo. humiliating. They actually explain yeah, this. It's very <laughs> controversial out in the yeah. you know, out in the stratosphere. By the way, we talk about it on uh, this podcast, <laughs> sort of like the all the yeah. social media we talk about. Yeah. You guys, I mean, this is really controversial. Yeah, this rating system. <laughs> it really is. But I now you're part of it, and I also think a lot of people love it, and um, they email me about it. So here's the thing: is that we want we want to know is this is this where it is on the list, and it is at number five. Is this rolling well toned? That means it's right where it should be. Number five is a perfect place for this album. Uh, it's no better than Stevie Wonder's uh, Songs in the Key of Life or Joni Mitchell's Blue or et cetera, et cetera. Did it get rolling boned? It's too low on the list. Okay. In this case, it should be a higher number, which on the list is actually a lower number, but higher on the list. Okay. Should this not be all the way down at number five? Or is this a rolling groan? It's too high on the list. It should be below number five if the list goes down. So it should be six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or whatever. Matt, what do you think? Rolling well-toned, rolling boned, or rolling groan? I think it's rolling groaned. I think it's about the fifth, maybe the fourth best Beatles album of all time. Um, oh. You know, you talk about greatest albums on this whole list. I think uh, Rubber Soul, Sgt. Pepper, you know, Revolver, I get it. Uh, you know, that could probably be ahead of it. And I certainly think White Album's ahead of it. But And so I I, I don't get the jump. I don't, uh, maybe the more the drop in the other ones from the previous list. Um, so I'm just going to go with rolling groan on, uh, on this album here. Russell, what do you think? Rolling well-toned, rolling boned or rolling groan? I'm going to agree with Matt. I think it's a rolling groan. I really love the album and I know Matt and Aaron are really into the white album. I personally like Sgt. Pepper's more than this. The one thing I will say is I like this more than the white album because to me, the white album has what I would consider nonsense songs, revolution nine wild honey pie. And there's some other stuff that just doesn't do it for me. So I think this is my second favorite Beatles album, but I would put Sgt. Pepper's ahead of it. So I'm going to say Rolling Groan, but I really, really loved it. Aaron, what do you think? Rolling Well-Toned, Rolling Boned, or Rolling Groan? Yeah, I'd love to argue with these guys, but I have to say Rolling Groan as well, um, because for me, it's not my favorite Beatles album. Uh, The more we listened and talked through it, I think there are some really beautiful moments here, but... Uh, I don't, for me, it, it's not on the level of the white album. Um, so I'm going to say rolling grown, but I think it's a great album. Emerson, what do you think? Yeah. You know, I, I'm actually not going to disagree either. I think rolling grown. Um, I think there are like, uh, Sergeant Peppers, uh, revolver. I know those are ahead of, um, Abbey road, but I don't think that they really get to that top five level, uh, here, uh, with, with Abbey road. Um, so, and I think some of this probably had to do with the rejiggering of the, the, the list and the fact that Abbey Road was celebrating its 50th anniversary late last year. Um, that probably swayed somebody at Rolling Stone, is my guess. Oh, right. Oh, now, there's a conspiracy theory. Are you theory suggesting that this list is not pure and just 100% straightforward people's real true feelings on this music? So when they redo this list three years from now or three weeks from now, when we have to start over again, this is like, up, by the way, yeah, I know. we're not going to make it. You guys have to hurry way up. I mean, how are you going to get 500 weeks of this crap? That's I mean, I, I don't know how you're going to do that. <laughs> I don't either. Rob and his teaching. Oh, I got to teach. Yeah, I got to get up. Oh, to teach oh, we should do, do this. Either. You guys are right. We should do this every night. Uh, so <laughs> what, what do you think, think Rob? Over great. You guys, I saw on the yes. Rolling Stones voting list, one of the voters was named Billy Shear. So I am suspicious now <laughs> why Abby Road is up so high. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, all right. So it's like I've always said, if it's not Baroque, don't fix it. And that's why I'm giving this a uh, rolling. Here comes the zone. 
Okay, I think this is a gorgeous album, guys. There's not a there's not a dud on this album. They're all great songs. It's so they good. They didn't finish 17 that's, songs. That's on the, the worst on the one. The album. They don't have to finish it. They just said screw it. We're not going to finish it. Oh, oh, every song has to be like Stevie Wonder's eight minutes, like with a baby oh, crying. Oh God, give me a break. Yeah. Okay. The the, med, the medley is it's better than a long like it's better than one song. It's a bunch of little songs. It's great. I love it. I couldn't get enough of this album. Favorite album so far. All the other albums are garbage. I love this one. I thought it was great. Uh, and Eric Clapton just emailed me his ranking, and he said that this gets a rolling bone from him. And I don't know what he means by that. That's very strange. <laughs> All right. Great. Now i got to cut out that. The next album is, guys, i got news for you. We're hopping oh. way ahead in time. Finally. And we are doing Nirvana's Nevermind. Holy shit. All right. <laughs> All right, so that is it for Beck. Oh, by the way, Emerson, anything you want to say? Any news you want to get out there to the two people that are going to listen to this and the one person that's going to listen the to this far? Tens of people that download this. <laughs> no, uh, thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. It was a real pleasure. Um, it's a real pleasure listening to you guys. It's um, it, This is a really fun endeavor that you guys have gone down. And, you know, I have the utmost respect for Rob, of course, and... Um, I hope we can visit you again soon, Rob, in New York. Your, your check really will be fun. in the mail sh- sh- quickly, I'm assuming. And wow. I'm going to push I'm gonna push send on my Venmo, and here we go. All right, so that's perfect. Nice job. Thank you so much. Rob, I, you're thank the you, best. Yeah, I love you, Rob. You're my favorite cousin. Oh, I love it. Here we go. Beck did it better. When you want to hear about the greatest the albums of all time. makes complete sense. <laughs> but you're you just so smart, too lazy to look it up online. If you want to hear four guys who chat and then they get off track. I've got the perfect podcast for you, Jack. Beck did it better. Uh, remember when uh, you were in the, the Beatles and uh, you did that... Um, album Abbey Road and uh, at the very end of the song it was, the song it goes uh, and in the end the love you take is equal to the love you make you remember that? <laughs> yes uh, is that true? Yes, Chris. In, in my experience, it is, I find the more you give, the more you get. <sighs> well, that's it for this week's show. Someday I'm gonna make a mine, oh yeah Someday I'm gonna make a mine